I'm Nikia Cheney. And I'm Cassidy Parong. And I'm Raina Shalise. And you're listening to Amplify, where we provide space to amplify the voices of students who have not been historically heard at Cabrillo. That would include Black, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina, Indigenous, Asian, and any other group of students who feel marginalized on our campus. This podcast series was made possible by support from the Faculty Grants for Student Success, FGSS, and the Associated Students of Cabrillo College Grants, ASCC. If you want to join in this conversation or support our programs, please reach out. We'd love to hear your voice. So this is Alta. I am a program coordinator here at Cabrillo, and I work in all the capacities that I'm needed. So welcome. <laughs> Hi there, everybody. I'm Raina Shalise, a communication studies educator here at Cabrillo College and co-creator of Amplify alongside Nakia. Yes, and I'm Nakia Cheney, uh, and I work for the English department at Cabrillo, and I help out the GP team as well. So this is really awesome to do this. And we are talking with Alta Northcutt. And we're just going to be talking a little a bit about her journey at Cabrillo and some things that she may want students to know or students to understand about being here. So Alta, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Cabrillo and how long you've been here or anything else you want to know about your journey? Sure. I will. Um, so I've been at the college. This is my 21st year. And so I started off working with students with disabilities. And then I moved over to welcoming our students to the campus as the outreach coordinator, as the orientation coordinator when we had the SSSP money, um, student success money. And then I moved into helping um, kind of frame up the Welcome Center. And that kind of created an alliance with student life in that I was supporting a lot of the different areas under the Dean of Student Services. And so then the opening in student um, leadership came up and people were like, go do that, go do that. And I was like, oh, I like students, <laughs> as is evident of my journey. And so I applied for it. And now I work in student life, um, hosting the student senate and the club. Um, again, this has been my 21st year, and I truly, truly, truly enjoy my work because I can see a direct connection and outcome, right? A lot of my journey started off with not knowing. So almost similar to Othello's message in our previous segment when he was talking about he kind of just came here, he had an idea of what he wanted to do, and then he connected the pieces. And mine was I was just being who I was. I was being authentic to what I thought. I could do and my heart is service. My heart is in service to people. Um, and so as I started going through my roles, people were like, you know, here's an opportunity for you to do this. So I started with the union and I worked in different capacities as the vice president, as the outreach coordinator for the union, as the, you know, steward. And then I moved as the union president and we were going through a very tumultuous time and cuts and a lot of things happened there. And so people were just kind of feeding into my spirit. You know, I never really thought 
what did I want to get? And I didn't come here with a degree that said I was going to focus in this area, right? So I was able to work in a lot of capacities where people just started saying, do you have, what is your degree in? Who are you? Where are you going? And I was like, oh, <laughs> whatever y'all want me to get it in. And they started speaking to my spirit of you have this skill, you have that skill. And so I just kind of went down a list and said, what degree matches the skills that people tell me I have? And ended up getting my master's in um, leadership and management development. And so a part of that journey was not just listening to who I thought I was, but taking back what people were saying they saw and feeling that out and saying, okay, this makes sense to who I am so that I can stay in my most natural habitat. I want to be the most authentic form of me. And if you're saying this and I'm saying it matches, I want to be able to do that. And so a part of my degree journey was figuring out what people thought of me and seeing if it matched what I wanted to be. And then the other part of that was making sure that my pieces connected so that my kids who were watching me on the sidelines could say, there was no end point. I'm a, I, you have a starting, but there's no end point for you. Um, and so I always had this journey of making sure that my kids knew the value of community college because it's the growth period. I say it's always similar to when you get your driver's license, you do the permit first, right? Community college is the permit part. <laughs> you learn what it is. You learn how to pay a bill. You learn how to be on your own. You learn how to make a schedule. You learn how to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> All those pieces. And so a part of my journey has been able to empower students to be able to say, even if you don't know today, you still have time. And none of the time is wasted as long as you're learning a little bit more about who you are. I have been in this role as sometimes the only, right? So I'm the only female in some of these rooms. I'm the only African-American female in some of these rooms. I'm the only one with a degree in different rooms from the classified perspective. So I have been a lot of the only for a long time. And a part of that was making sure that I wasn't the only voice, but if I'm gonna open the door, I'm gonna, I wanna make sure that they're coming in with a stable enough platform to launch. And so um, I work in this environment, my goal is to make sure that the environment works for others. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> How inspiring. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh my God. And I especially love how you're describing Cabrillo College or community college in general about just really being this space of exploration and yeah. like, it's okay. It's okay if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. Sometimes I don't even know yet. Right. right. But it's like, it's this process of always becoming and like you're saying, really coming back to this idea of your authentic self, what's something that brings you joy that fits who you are. So thank you so much for that. I'm just, I'm really inspired by you. <laughs> thank you. And I, I'm, I'm in awe too at your dedication. I've seen the work that you've, you've done with students here on campus, right? And the connections that you've made with students on campus. So could you talk a little bit about the work that you do with students? Like, what is something that you want to impart to them? Um, I would love to hear that. I want students to know that beyond our motto, beyond our tagline, beyond what we push, that they're actually a part of this process. And this journey is about their soul discovery, as well as whatever happens in the, in the end, money, stability, platforms, voices, whatever that looks like. This journey is about taking who you are 
and making yourself fit in here. Like, I want to see you everywhere. Um, I know I've always struggled with the fact that at Cabrillo, we say to people, you know, come here, it's diverse. We have this great student population and, and you'll be a part of this mix. And then we kind of go to our websites, right? And it's by in large whitewashed. So we're sending out the message of diversity, but we're in, we're telling the people when you look at it, the diversity really just looks like it was just on the paperwork. So I, I want students to know that when I leave this job, like there's room for you to come in here and you don't have to just replace me, you get to multiply me. You don't have to come in here and wait for the only black role to be open, but you get to come in here and be in this role. It's hard for me to lead a lot of our student groups because our students who are coming here already have so many obstacles. You know, they're coming from a place of, first they have to give themselves value. Then they have to say, that the places that they're in, the classrooms, the offices, the, you know, like Othello was saying, he felt intimidated to go to financial aid. Like you belong in that place because they have something for you, not that you need to get, but for you. Like we're offering it. We need you to take it. It's for you. And I don't think people take on that role of saying, I deserve this. I belong here. We are so used to inviting our students to be a part of it instead of telling them they already are, and then they get to make it what it looks like. Um, so if anything that I can lead with, I want students to know that these roles that we currently occupy are space savers for what they will do and how they will grow it. And they deserve the opportunity. And that's why clubs are so important to me because I may be on the track to be a STEM major, but I also might like art. And so I wanna join the art club or I'm interested in robotics. I wanna join the robotics club. I wanna be a woman in science. And so I wanna join WISE. Like there are so many parts of who we are that we don't have the box that we have to fit in. And we need to always be in a place of cultivating who we are. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, I really connect with that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a black woman and, you know, I went through community college as well. And I felt those same, those same feelings, right? Like, well, I'm nervous. I'm nervous to ask for something, even though it's something that I need. And I had to push past that. Right. And I had to say, wait a minute here, you know, a community college is designed to serve the community. That is the very nature of what this entire institute is. It's designed to give a place to help students get to higher education who might not normally have those avenues. So the supportive services, financial aid, all of those things that are there are for me. So I love that. I love that. That message Altas to kind of give to our students of color as well too, because our whole goal for this podcast is to give voice (laughs) to those That's students, right. right? To say, hey, yeah. we, we want to hear what you have to say. You're not invisible. Right. You're on right. campus. We know you're there and we want to hear right. what you have to say about right. going to college so that we can look at your needs and look at your wants. And, and so right. I just think that's a, that's a really, really beautiful thing to, to, to express, you know, right. as we talk. <laughs> I think it's so important to move past. I, I was talking to this young man who um, 
had recently been released from prison, right? And he was talking about coming back to college and how intimidating it was and how hard it was just to get started. He didn't see himself because the identity he took on was former inmate, right? Mm -hmm. He fit in all the other boxes. He was a foster youth. He grew up and joined the service and then he got arrested when he got out. So he fit other boxes, but the identity that he took on, right, mm. was formerly incarcerated. And so I was like, we got a club for that too. Like, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to go out and make a connection with Sadie. And I was like, can you continue to go? I'll re reduce some of the restrictions because we have a six student minimum to get started. But if it takes five, I'm gonna get you started. Like I'm not here to create another barrier. But I remember in that conversation, and this is what I hold on to, right? He said to me, it's so hard for me to be in a place where I have to ask for help. And here I'm looking at this 38-year-old man who spent 10 years in prison, who came out and said, I have to ask for help. And I said, well, how about I change it? How can I help you? Mm -hmm. You don't have to ask me for help. Just know I'm here to help. And so if we can start changing our dialogue, and allowing the students to know you, we took, we've taken all the surveys. We know that they don't belong and they don't feel like they have a belong and they want community. We know all of that, we have the records. When are we gonna start doing that? And it takes each of us in our little role to impact that bigger environment, right? So even if it means I change, come ask me for help too, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. I'm here, I'm that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what you need, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> awesome. I wish you were my advisor back when I was in community college. You know, I mean, I totally connect to this so, so much. You know, I just, I remember staring at that catalog and it was like, it was in Greek. I could not make heads or tails of. Oh, okay. She'll be back. <laughs> She'll be back. Of what it is. I know that you wanted to say of what that meant. <laughs> Oh, well, maybe I can kind of have a placeholder until she comes back. I just, I just wanted to acknowledge that I love what you're saying about dialogue and that it goes both ways, right? It's not a freeway and a bike path. And I think the more, right, the more that we let our students know, like, I'm here for you. Like, I'm not this knower of all the things that you can't approach. Like, I'm still learning, too. So I think the more that we can become more dialogic and more approachable, right. the better. And that's well, and, and it also helps us, right? Because if a student is coming to me and I've been working at this college in my 21st year and I don't have an answer, <laughs> something's wrong. You've hidden the system away from me yeah. to a degree that I can't be a service to a student. Then right. I got to change the system. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just relying on the system working for everyone else. I have to be involved in that, you know? Yeah, and that's one of the things I really loved about taking Dr. Akinjade's DEI program mm -hmm. was that we talked so much about this idea of hidden curriculum that, yeah. you know, students show up to this college campus and there's all these things they're supposed to already know. Right. And it's like, how and yeah. why? And why are we not just starting the dialogue from where they are instead right. of what we're expecting them to know already? Right. So I think that's so important. And also going into the idea of this deficit-based education right. framework where 
if you come from a certain background, therefore you're automatically at a disadvantage. Right. And it's like, no, we need to be pushing back and transforming that to be anti-deficit wherever mm-hmm. it's possible. Well, and that even includes location. Yeah. Right. Because I was listening to a conversation where the student said, we were talking about all the um, inequities of distance ed and how we're online now. And, you know, our students in South County have less resources. And this young man said, as a white man living in Felton, I don't have a hotspot. I don't have internet connection. But we automatically assume Felton, Aptos, Santa Cruz was out of the conversation of lack of because when compared to South County, of course they take, you know, so even in that we change the dialogue because Watsonville has old money. <laughs> Some of it is funding a lot of the things you see in Watsonville's community, you sure. know, and to just think Martinelli's and the Crestview's and all these people who kind of build themselves in Watsonville, that's not, that doesn't make Watsonville the, the automatic low class. You know what I mean? That's and right. so even in our location, when we talk about equity, it becomes an issue. <laughs> Absolutely. That's such a good point. <laughs> I've already talked about this, but Cabrillo started in Watsonville, correct? Right. That's the very first place that, that Cabrillo built its first campus. And then they moved it over to Aptos. And I, I know there was some history about um, Santa Cruz being industrial and Watsonville being farming and, you know, and more like farmland. And so I guess Cabrillo was trying to, I don't know, the history is really, really interesting. So that's something to look at too, right? That we have these, yeah. these historical communities, but I know there was a, a African-American community in Watsonville. That's right. And even when Watsonville founded on a sugar cane, right? They came out here. That's why you have that train going from Watsonville to because they were transporting sugar all the way up to the San Francisco area. But even in all of that, how come the Watsonville site is not the main campus? Mm -hmm. When that's where Watsonville was founded. (laughs) Even in in the fact that we changed the directions on the freeway. Because when you get in your car and you drive this way, it doesn't say south. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's something to think about though it's something to think about <laughs> but this is again you know when we talk about like institutionalized racism right, right? right. we talk about the way that it's just sort of embedded in right. like the very fabric of how we set up our cities, you know, like how, like, where are we going to build a freeway, you know, and how, where are we going to put this school district, you know, campus, are we going to make the main campus of Cabrillo and divert funding, right, right, that it's embedded in that very fabric, so it's important to talk about these histories, and I invite any students who are listening to this podcast who wants to write about this or do a story <laughs> on this <laughs> to kind of research and yeah. look up some of these histories. Because again, if we're not looking at it and we're not paying attention to it and we're not addressing it or learning about it, we're just right. allowing it to continue. Right? Right? And what does they say? The only triumph, the only, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil 
is for good men to stand and do nothing. Yeah. Right? That's a, so that's an important point. And it also reminds me of this, you know, possible name change. I feel like this podcast, this conversation is happening during a time where our entire institution, including the name, yeah. is in this moment of transition and that it's really important for us to maintain this dialogue and resist conclusions, right? We want to keep this open and ongoing because there's so much more for us to learn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if we weren't forced to stop our lives in our normal, and I'm hoping that whatever we return to is not the past normal, right? I hope that our future looks a little bit different than our past in how we behave. But if we weren't forced to stop in March and watch the world happen around us, we'd still be having the tough conversations that never happened, right, for years. Our college has been talking about getting into a room and having those tough conversations. And then we did all these surveys and we asked these students, what's a tough conversation? And then we forgot about it because we already did the research. We checked the box. We filled out the chances report. <laughs> Done. Great. Now we have to stop in March and watch why Black Lives Matter. They're never going to matter at Cabrillo if we don't first start caring. Yes. Right. You can't tell something that someone that they matter if you haven't stopped to consider them. And at this point, we are now in a conversation where we have to stop writing a diversity question on our interview packet and actually start doing it. We have to stop asking our students what their mission is in this diverse population and actually start asking them to confront that. You can't have adults from 2020 go into the workforce saying, I had a transgender friend. That's not the world anymore. We are just going to have to accept that even if I never encountered a person of color, even if I never encountered a person with a different sexual identity, uh, name, whatever, Mm -hmm. if I never encountered that, I still have to be ready for it. Because we watched America on January 6th be unready Mm -hmm. for the change. Mm-hmm. That was about, and that was post Barack Obama. That's true. So it's never just about whether or not we're doing the work. It's how the work looks because they waited. When Trump got in the office, and this isn't bashing anyone or another, but it was giving a voice to an America that was suppressed, not non-existent. And when we do that to our students, when we say "You matter, come here, come here," except we're just gonna keep you in the background until you until we we care about including you we just continue to suppress that voice until they rise up and so we're at a place now where the rise has happened and Cabrillo has to confront that and even in our name regardless of how we have money we have to spend on getting those t-shirts changed and our marquees changed we can get a grant for everything else <laughs> and we need to really start to ask ourselves are we serving our students in this by not looking at it, by not paying attention to it? You know, I'm teaching a, a African American. No, do we care? Do we care? Do we care, do we care? about our students? Because we always ask, are we doing it? That's yeah. our, we tell everybody, well, that's your student. Are you so-? Do we actually care? Well, when we get their answer, do we care? I like that. I like that. Because in my class, like in my class, I ask my students, 
to introduce themselves. This is African-American literature, right? It hasn't been offered at Cabrillo for a couple years now. All of them are saying, I'm taking this class because I haven't had the opportunity right. to study these subjects before. Right. All of them across the board are saying the same thing again and again and again and again. And I'm saying to myself, like, well, then what is our community college actually doing to address this? Right. Are we doing anything about it? Because even if we're doing something, it doesn't seem like we are. Because <laughs> we're because right. students are still saying, I don't have this opportunity. I've never right. had a teacher before. Um, right. I'm familiar with these subjects. I've never been, I've never read this. I've taken literature classes, British literature classes, or I've taken world literature classes and right. never came across African-American literature classes, right. ethnic studies courses. And it's, it's just really interesting to me, the ways in which we just ignore a certain right. population of students and ignore their wants and their needs. So I think that it's just very important. We, yeah. we need to have these conversations and we need to get this stuff out there and talk about it because our students are hungry for it. That's right. They're saying it. They're saying That's it. right. And, and we have to get to a point where we say, do we care? Because we're asking. We're, yeah. we're surveying them to death. <laughs> and what are they saying in the surveys is we and <laughs> struggling with the answers. You know what I mean? Like, it's the college that's like, struggling with the answers. It's not the students. The students it's know the what students. they want. They right? know. And they also know if it's not here, I'm going to go elsewhere. And that's when our enrollment changed because I'm not going to just settle for what you tell me I deserve. If I have been made aware that I can get more, and we have gotten to the place where we said, this is what we're offering, take it or leave it. And they said, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Alta, I love this point. I love all the points thus far, but like <laughs> this point in particular, we are being called in, called out to be called in, right? To this conversation, because we have asked them the questions we have, their responses. And now it's time for us to do something about it, you know, and for each of us, that might look different for me. That's mean, it's time to acknowledge my positionality in the classroom from the beginning. And Mm -hmm. if I'm going to say that I have anti-racist curriculum, I need to have anti-racist curriculum. Right. And I need to provide these different resources. So students know that they matter and that I care about them, you know, and And you don't stop learning. Right. It's not that you fixed yourself because you took a course or a workshop and it's not because you changed your syllabus that you became that you're in this place where you get to say, and look at me, I'm, I'm in this too. Yes, absolutely. Bingo. Bingo. That I'm a part of this, that I'm, I'm, I'm in this, that I'm kind of embedded in this structure. So how can I shift and make make some real changes. And if that's in your classroom in the way that you're mm-hmm. teaching, if that's in your methods and how you're kind of working with the students or dealing with the students, if that's in your material, the voices that you're bringing into your classrooms, or if that's in things like this, this program, right. we're that's creating right. something to kind of like get to the heart because these problems are serious, serious problems. Right. They're not small. They're not things right. that painted right. over are just right 
pushed aside. They need to be addressed. Absolutely. And how are we addressing it? So we're all, each of us are trying our best to do our part of that, but we need, we need an answer. We need an Absolutely. answer institution. It, or become one, or right? Become. I literally had to send an email to our marketing director because as I was searching and navigating the website, I just was mentally tired of going to the faculty and staff page, reading how diverse we were and seeing a exclusively white executive leadership group. Yes. The student voice was a white man. <laughs> the report about where our human resources were led by, you know, and I, I'm not yeah. begrudging what we draw. But it's hard to say that we're making our best efforts when all of our work at the top is very homogenous in, in one area. I, That's right. I just have a hard time for telling people, come replace me if they can't see me. Yeah. And we need to see these issues brought to light. Like I'm looking at every other community college and I see Black History Month mm-hmm. celebrating Black History Month somewhere. I don't see that at Cabrillo. I don't see anything about celebrating Black History Month. I'm right. looking, I'm seeing things like Black Lives Matter at, uh, I don't know, ARC, right? Um, Black Lives Matter at Hardinell, right? You come to Cabrillo, right. it's nowhere to be found. It's the same tired message that we serve the 49% Hispanic serving institution and we forgot not that we're not a Hispanic serving institution, but even that message matters. Mm-hmm. Right. When you say I am a Hispanic serving institution, what about everybody else? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to pay. We have. We can't say people of color as this umbrella, and then have nothing for nothing. black students, nothing for Asian students, nothing for you know students who identify in different ways, but who are still minoritized. Like we we need to be be. And- and just in that, you are a Hispanic serving institution, but your entire website depicts the most white executive leadership and our diverse faculty has few diverse points. Our diverse classified staff has few diverse entries. Yep. Let's stop giving these counter messages of who we are because what they see matters, right? We always say, don't tell me who you are. Show me. <laughs> and this has been a real conversation. <laughs> a very real conversation. Um, we are all employees of Cabrillo, right? But at the same time, we're having a very, very real conversation right. about some of the things that we see. What are some solutions? What are some things we think that we need, or we want, or we know we need, and we want Cabrillo in order to address some of these issues? What are solutions? This is our platform, right? So let's talk these about kinds of things, right? And and just like I was talking to that one student who was formerly incarcerated, that was his identity, right? Why can't we create a club? and then go one step far, farther. And we got an email from Eileen one year and she's like, do we have students who are identifying as formerly incarcerated? Are there clubs existing? Cause we have a donor who's looking for, okay, well let's match that up. And now 
our students who are formerly incarcerated, if you just get six of them together and they join a club, guess what? I can fund it. So if the club says they need stuff like, oh, we want in our formerly incarcerated club, we need books and we need to buy things. Guess where that money comes from? The power that they have, that our students have, is unrecognized because we are so busy trying to check off our boxes that we're not taking the time to be embedded and involved in the conversation. It literally requires us to connect with one another. That's it. That, and I don't want to make it so minimal, but if you reach out to me and have, hey, Alta, I was thinking of this. If I can't lead you to the spot to get an answer, then let us go stuck together until we get to that place. But it can't just drop the ball, well, Alta didn't know, so therefore it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. No. We are all responsible for being a solution. We are all responsible for hitting that email list until we get that answer. The same thing we tell students. When they get here, oh, if you don't know what you want before you go see a counselor, then you out of the water. No. Connect with a student that knew what they wanted and you ask them how they walked around that system. And then you walk around that system. (laughs) And that's the same for us. If we can't take the time to unify our voices, Instead of saying, here is my closet where I'm going to sit. If we don't take the time to unify our voices, what student wants us? What service are we to them? Yeah. I can't do anything in my closet except organize my shoes. I'm just saying. <laughs> but on top of that, they have to know that I have a connection somewhere. It makes no sense for me to have any title on this campus if it only stays in my area. Yeah. So we have to reach out to each other. That's we have right. to reach out That's to right. each other. We have to work together. And then, you know, for me, like I said, it's just push past polite. That's right. I'm scared now just talking about this stuff. I had that little moment of fear. Oh my mm-hmm. God, you know, this is my job. What am I doing? Right. Right? But you know what? It won't be my job if I'm miserable. That's right. If I'm not recognized if I have no agency or I have no voice, right? right? I can't work in that type of environment, right? So we have to stop being polite. These are responsibilities that this institution has to the students and to their employees. And diversity is not something you can just make a check mark on and say done. It is a continual effort that has to be made. And that effort to me has to sit with the employees who are the most minoritized. That's right. We should be going to the Chicano Latino Affairs Council and asking them what ways do you think we can do to improve our college, right? We should be going to our black faculty and staff and asking them what types of things would you like our college to have that represents you and represents students who identify as black. And I don't see that happening. Right. And so that's why I'm, I'm saying, well, we, we, we've got to stop being polite. We and have- I'm a, this will be my end comment. <laughs> I dare someone to threaten me on my job. With my job or with my voice. Because all you are doing is saying to the student, you don't matter. Because everything I do, every way I show up is to empower somebody who's replacing me, period. And if you threaten me against my job after 21 years, first of all, I'll dare you. Secondly, 
<laughs> please, please know what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And so if my advocacy for the student, if my advocacy for the college employee causes someone to threaten me, you know, EEO exists for a reason. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> but I'm going to make the connection. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here just to say I fit the Cabrillo statistic. Yeah. And we're doing this because we care. That's right. We would That's not right. be doing this. That's right. Not in some ways care. And That's I've had right. students when we were on campus come to my office right. in tears, hurting because mm-hmm. they did not see themselves, because mm-hmm. they were treated a certain way in their classrooms, because right. they couldn't figure out how to get their programs up or how to get something that they needed support for something that they needed. And I, that, that bothers me. Right. That bothers me. You know, mm-hmm. having that CCL report, and we had a report, an independent survey, and having all these students, Black students say, that they mm-hmm. felt that Cabrillo was unwelcoming and hostile. So one of the first things I read when I when when I got my job, right. that bothered me. Yeah. Right. But I can't sit back and do nothing. Right. Yeah. Right. It's that's not right. the type of because you can't unknow that. You can't unknow that. I know it, and I can't do nothing. That's just not the right. type of teacher and educator that I am. Right. Right. And so that's why I said, like, we are doing as much as we can to get these things forefront, but we're doing it because we care. And if it's comfortable, (laughs) if it's it's impolite. That's right. Right? If it goes against, you know. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, you know what? We're going to have to just do it anyway. And I think we should end on that that noted so does anyone have any last words they want to say about this just really to say that yes it's a risk and you're not alone you're not alone so if anybody reaches out to us students uh, faculty members staff members cabrillo college community members just know that we recognize that this is a vulnerable act to talk about this and there's also power in that Because when we're vulnerable and we can open up and recognize the things that need to change, then we actually have the ability to change them. Right. Thank you. And get connected. There's no, this is the time to build your community. This Mm -hmm. is the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank Thank you both. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Alta. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. That was a lot deeper than we were thinking, right? <laughs> I love it. That's exactly where it needed to go. <laughs> um, that's exactly where it needed to go. So, you know. Uh, I want students to take advantage. I don't know if we're still recording, but I want students to take advantage of the virtual world and getting connected because, you know, we always hear the students intimidated to go into the office and have this conversation or they don't want to do this. Turn that camera off and have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time to empower yourself because you can do it behind a screen. <laughs> Reduce some of those risk factors of the fear part, you know what I mean? So this yeah. is the best time. Yeah. So this has been Alton Nortcut 
We are with um, Amplify, Cabrillo's, Cabrillo's new podcast, <laughs> Real Conversations with Real Staff and Faculty, um, but really and truly just giving voice to the things that are often unsaid but need to be said. All right. In order to make change. Thank you for tuning in to Amplify, a podcast series for historically unheard Cabrillo students. You can join us by emailing Raina Chalice at R-A-C-H-E-L-I-S at cabrillo.edu or me, Nikia Cheney at N-I-C-H-A-N-E-Y at cabrillo.edu or even texting 951-254-3651 or visiting our website at podcastforcabrillo.wordpress.com. And amplify your own voice too.